0: You are listening to Dirt Work with Adam Morrissey. Welcome back to Dirt Work. This is your host, Adam Morrissey. We're joined today by Mark Dubner. He's the Director of Aviation for the City of Dallas. This podcast is brought to you by MarketScale and Trumont Construction. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Mark, I saw you speak last summer at the Greater Dallas Planning Council annual event, and frankly, I I didn't know the city of Dallas had an aviation department or the director of aviation. So if you could just speak to kind of your role as director of aviation and the role that cities play in the aviation space and kind of your relationships with airlines and the commercial impact.
1: It's kind of an interesting question. It's not unusual for you to and a lot of people to not have interaction with airport administration. You know, people who run airports, a lot of people fly on airports. airlines and they go to the airport, but they don't really understand who owns them, who operates them. And frankly, airports really didn't spend much time outside of their own property line. They're very inward looking. I think the aviation industry has changed dramatically uh, where it is in the space of mobility in cities and in regions and Dallas Love Field. You know, of course, we have uh, Dallas Fort Worth International Airport, too, in our in our area. But we've got, in airports across the country, not just us, have really had to rethink uh, how they're operated. So, like you said, the city of Dallas owns uh, Dallas Love Field. They're part owner of Dallas-Fort Worth International along with the city of Fort Worth. And as a municipal entity that owns the airport, we have the responsibility uh, to the FAA to maintain a, a safe, operable airport as part of the national air transport system. So I came to the role, I've been with the city for a number of years, came to the airport in 2011. And even in the time I've been there, we've really seen this big change on uh, what airports do, not only inside the airport, talking about, you know, wasn't that long ago, your only option to buy something to eat at an airport used to be a, a slice of old pizza or maybe a hot dog. And now you see celebrity chefs. We have a Stephen Piles restaurant in our in our airport, which was, you know, ten years ago was unthinkable. So as that experience inside the airport has changed, also how airports connect with the surrounding community has changed dramatically. Airports have moved um, from the '70s where the bulk of their revenues, their operating income, came from the airlines themselves, and that's changed over time to where now. Probably less than half of the revenue that goes to airports across country comes from the airline. The the rest of it's coming from non-airline revenue, what we call your concessions revenue, where you buy food and drink, parking, and then uh, also completely unrelated commercial development. So Love Field is no different than you'll see everywhere else. We're looking at monetizing the land around the airport. Um, commercial development. We've just recently kicked off a, a big commercial development we have on the edge of Love Field. Uh, DFW, for example, has probably about 8,000 acres dedicated to commercial development. Development that has nothing to do with the airport itself. Can be related, but doesn't necessarily have to. I mean, they have a sports complex on the south end of the airport that's on airport property. Then you go to an airport like Denver, which is 25 square miles of landmass. Um, you know they have hotels and restaurants that you don't even know you're on airport property. So I think airports in general have really changed where they fit into the landscape, and and really why you're seeing airport directors, people like me, out in the community because we've got to figure out how to make those connections um, from a transit standpoint, from a traffic standpoint. Um, I joke um, when I talk to people they ask me about running an airport. Quite frankly. Maybe 20% of my time is spent on anything having to do with an, with an aircraft. So it's, it's a lot about real estate and managing the assets and, and making sure you get a return on that asset because at the end of the day, we want the airport to be an economic generator but also generate positive net revenue for the citizens and the owners of, of the airport.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, a lot of good stuff in there. We, as consumers, often see more lukewarm pizza and long TSA lines. Can you speak more to the commercial impact that aviation space and airports bring to cities?
1: Well, I, I think uh, from a revenue standpoint, um, that's pretty clear what we bring in the way of additional sales taxes, things like that. But from an economic development standpoint, um, you know, airports are, are really your, your gateway to all the other markets in the U.S., um, that's why airports and cities fight so hard to get airline service. So smaller cities, a lot of times will even incentivize airlines to provide service um, between the major markets because that creates a pipeline for the business, for the commerce. Um, you know, airports can seem glamorous, but but I, I really believe airports are essentially we're we're like truck stops. So if you think about the uh, uh, airline routes in the sky, that's the highway, and, and we're on the off-ramp, right? So we're we're where you get on and off the highway. We're a place where you can stop and go to the bathroom and maybe buy a bag of chips and a cold drink for your trip. But we think, it, you know, especially with Dallas Love Field being so close to downtown, and, and, and it really is the front door for a lot of visitors, so we're very closely connected with our Visitors Bureau, uh, visit Dallas, and every other city, um, you'll see airports really have a strong connection to travel and tourism, as well as the airlines. Um, but when it comes to what an airport's main goal, and that really is to serve the airlines in the air commercial airline industry, and sometimes we forget that we're not in it to make money just for Love Field. We really got to create an environment that is, uh, or an infrastructure that allows private enterprise to thrive, grow, and succeed. So a lot of what we do is pay very close attention to what the airlines want, what they need, uh, improving the passenger experience so that passengers, you know, are, are more likely to use our airport, more likely to use air travel as an option as opposed to other modes that they might choose.
0: Yeah. You mentioned um, airports being just an important gateway to the rest of the nation or the rest of the world. What are certain cities globally that are winning or losing uh, on accounts for their airports and infrastructure?
1: Well, you, it it's not that hard to see when the airlines make shifts in how they do their routing. So uh, most of the legacy airlines use a hub model where they'll have one airport that they'll bring... Uh, folks to aggregate them and then onto a different destination. Um, we've seen it in Detroit. We've seen it in Memphis, St. Louis to a lesser extent, where an airline was using that airport as a hub. So when you're a hub airport, you get the benefit of additional city pairs or, or, or routes between your city and, and other cities across country and across the world, even though your, your local market doesn't support daily service. What happened in some of those cities where those airports were de-hubbed, the airlines made a decision to consolidate. It had a very uh, detrimental impact to the airport and to the community at large because a lot of routes now that were convenient non-stops from, say, Memphis, um, Pittsburgh, they lost that service. And so, you know, you make a decision, I think, on your travel based on convenience, time, and, and that's really where air travel is a winner is It essentially cuts your travel time. But when you get to those shorter flights, the, the mid-mile, I like to call them, where it's a three or four hour flight, when you're faced with what air travel is today between getting to the airport, checking, checking a bag, getting through TSA, time to get ready for boarding, you know, even a one hour flight is really a three and a half hour endeavor. So I think airlines are very sensitive to that. I think the long haul markets or the long mile and uh, and I think airports are facing increased competition, um, especially with gas prices coming down. Car travel is strong, um, a good competitor. Um, best example I can give and I know not everyone's from Dallas, but, you know, Dallas to Austin is a, a, maybe a three hour drive now that the speed limits 70 miles an hour. Um, but say a three-hour drive, you really have a tough decision to make. Do I want to have a three-hour airport experience, or can I just get in the car and drive three hours? Essentially, it's a neutral impact to your time, so you you gain no real savings. So I think that mid-mile market, and you're seeing, you know, the East Coast has rail service, which competes, whereas the Western United States is just now looking at and getting into some of these alternate forms of transportation and and there's new competitors coming to the market all the time you know new innovations uh, higher-end bus service um, which is competing on price and convenience um, maybe not time but if you can take a bus ride three-hour bus ride with all the amenities comfortable seating wi-fi you can do business you know that that's starting to compete in a space that the airlines used to used to hold it exclusively
0: yeah you alluded to in the eastern countries and particularly in Asia where the train's more popular um, and that's a trend that is heading west. Uh, What is the importance of train access to the city centers for airports? I know um, Cleveland the last couple years has hosted a political national convention and the MLB all-star game and one of the reasons cited was for the easy access by train from the airport to the city center. Could you speak to to that?
1: I, I think it's becoming more and more uh, a must have for conventions and, and visitors, bureaus really selling their cities. More and more of uh, travelers want an option to either take rail, they can catch maybe a, a TNC, uh, an app based ride, um, they can rent a car, or they can take a taxi. But they increasingly want all of those choices available. I think you've seen a lot of success at airports like Atlanta. Um, Cleveland, you know, any number of the certainly the East, eastern seaboard of the US has already has had rail access, DC and New York. Um, that is driving, um, I think a lot of interest in those airports and from a visitor standpoint, because when I go to Atlanta, quite frankly, if I stay downtown, it is really easy to take Marta from the airport to downtown. Um, Dallas just recently added the service. From DFW um, with the with the orange line, um, and it'll get to the city center. Still, probably need to look at maybe an express that'll shorten that trip. But um, I think rail has got to be part of the equation for airports functionality and bringing people to the city center because it's just a product someone wants. You gotta you have to provide you know, the the product and service that the, that there's a demand for.
0: Trains connecting the airports to the cities, does that play into airlines determining hubs at all just due to consumer preferences? And then to take it a step further, how does that impact, um, you know, the corporations? I know in near DFW, there's five or so Fortune 500 companies. So how does that infrastructure impact kind of the broader business landscape?
1: I, well, I think overall, Businesses, and especially corporate relocation, are looking holistically at, at whatever market they they might be considering. Do you, have, you know Dallas, Fort Worth, the metro area, is got a lot of advantages just from a timing standpoint and reaching both coasts, which is why you've seen strong growth here. Um, I don't know that the airline's necessarily in, say, a hub decision on how they want to run their operations. There's a lot of technical aspects that go into route planning, um, efficiency of airport turn time, because people forget that an an airport or an airplane is really expensive, and so well maybe they didn't forget, but I, maybe they I, don't, for, I forget. Yeah, you forget that, um, and so it's an asset that needs to be working. And when an airline has an airplane on the ground, um, it's not making money, and so. People complain about delays, but I I think people have no idea the amount of effort that goes into on a daily and even hourly basis in adjusting the schedule for all of those planes to get to where they need to be because a plane, you know, it doesn't stay at one airport, flies to its destination airport, turns around and flies back. It's not a one plane will visit five or six airports in one day. So everything is centered around where are the planes when they start and where are they going to be at the end of the day and are they in the right spot because they don't want to fly them empty because they don't, they're not making money. So the route planning and, and adjustments when you have delays, say you have a mechanical, that mechanical failure or, or problem with a plane isn't just affecting one flight. It's probably affecting 10 or 15 flights between the delay The connection, uh, the additional service that plane was going to provide, you know, and there's not a lot of spare planes because, like I I say, they're expensive. So the the whole network of airports across the country is so interconnected. So I think airlines, when they're looking at hub operations, want a, you know, a well-run airport. They want an efficient airport, one they can get planes in and out of. Um, I think the connecting traffic is what's more important, how quickly, if they have multiple terminals, how quickly can you get passengers arriving from one flight to the other terminal to catch their connecting flight? Uh, and I use Atlanta probably as the example of the best um, designed airport for connections. It's, it's really convenient. Um, it's, you can make a connection very quickly. Um, and so it, it really is kind of the gold standard. It's an interesting question. I don't know that airlines necessarily make decisions always on dollars and cents there there is some gut to it and and they're playing a pretty big guessing game because they they're planning in advance of you know they sell tickets 6 months in advance so you're you're sort of betting you're going to plan a flight without knowing whether it's going to be full or not and so those adjustments and ch- trying to anticipate that demand is is really a tough task
0: yeah it's always floored me Uh, kind of that black box on how airports forecast demand and uh, fill the seats. Shifting gears a little, I mean, it's clear that airports are a key piece of city infrastructure, but rarely do you see new ones opening. So what are airports doing to reinvent themselves uh, with a changing landscape of the way we live and the way we work?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, You know, I hadn't really thought about there are not a lot of new airports being built. The best example probably is when Austin closed Mueller and, and moved out, um, uh, out to Bergstrom. Those are pretty big decisions, I, I, you know, and I think what's driving that is the infrastructure costs are massive when you're talking about uh, an airport. One runway, um, you know, it was just one runway is probably a $200 million proposition. Um, One terminal now is, say you want to build 20 gate terminal, that's probably a $1 billion uh, proposition. Um, So building that infrastructure is very expensive. I I think it's most of the metro areas in the U.S. are being served. um, And I think the strategy of most airports would be to grow um, rather than to build new. Um, Airports like Love field. My airport is really constrained, so we're a, we're what you call a medium hub airport. Um, we're pretty limited, and a lot of the interurban uh, airports like us are, are limited by size. So we, you know, we're 1,300 acres. DFW, when it was opened in 1974, it's 18,000 acres. So they planned for a lot of these uh, newer airports that were brought online in the 70s and early 80s. They planned for a lot of expansion. They planned for very large airports with very large operations. The challenge has been now that when they built these mega hub large hub airports outside the city with the idea that they'd have room to grow, no one really thought about the development of these cities growing out towards the airport, which has, you know, actually made it tougher to get to the what was to be the more convenient airport. You look at O'Hare. You look at DFW. I mean, at certain times of the day in the Dallas area, you know, it it it, it could be a hour, hour and a half drive trying to fight the traffic just because of all the development that's happening out towards the airport. Denver's experiencing that. It, it'll be interesting over the next 10 years. The biggest growth in the last probably five years in the airport sector, though, has come from the medium hub airports, the smaller markets. Um, as we see technology playing a bigger role in where companies can locate um, I do think the big corporate lo- relocations have focused on large metro areas very strong economies good big airports with you know global reach and there's a synergy to that you know you know once upon a time when I was young you know if you want to be an advertising business you went to New York because that's where all the advertisers were and that's in, you know uh, silicon valley and Now you see all these sort of um, a real renaissance in these smaller, medium-sized cities. Pittsburgh, uh, Cleveland's a great example of a really reimagined city. And it's it's really, the airport's been experiencing a lot of growth up there because you have a tech company that now just really, if you give me a T1 line, uh, I can open my business, quality of life is better, congestion, you know, people don't want to live in these large metro areas anymore. You really have a lot of flexibility and you have employees who don't even need to live in the city that work for you. You know, they they can telecommute, they can work online. So I think the underlying uh, sort of economic and demographic changes are going to shape what airports do. Um, I, I can't see any really big, big airports being built anytime soon. I just don't think the demand is there the way it used to be. Um, the other example I give is San Diego. I mean, San Diego is busier than Love Field, for example. I think they're 800 acre. I don't know if you've ever been to San Diego. As the plane lands, you swear it's landing in the lane next to you. Um, I mean, it's a postage stamp of an airport. It's got one runway. Uh, it's 800 acres. It's 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 too small. And for years, I mean, decades they've been talking about, we really need to build a new... San Diego airport. We really need to build a bigger one. It'd be better. It's more efficient. And and the community is saying, "You know what? We're okay. We don't we're fine. We know it's can get congested. We know. We're okay. We're fine. We we will keep our nice little airport. We're not we're not interested in building a big hub airport with, you know, five runways on the outskirts of town."
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You say that. I mean, I hadn't really thought about the idea of, you know, reduced infrastructure being a bottleneck for growth. It kind of sounds like uh, what happened in Los Angeles in the 50s, a city that was built probably to support half its size from a highway perspective, same deal down in Austin. Um, you mentioned the growth in the mid-hub space. How do you see the futures of airports changing? Could we expect to see a revival of municipal airports in certain cities?
1: I do. And I think really what the the looming thing for me, if someone can figure it out, there have been a couple of attempts And it really is, if you look at commercial air travel, is probably one of the last old fashioned business models left. Construction. Okay, construction. One of the two. Old kind of style. But I, well, I would, I would dare say working with a lot of construction, we've done a lot of big projects there. They've embraced technology and scheduling and planning and modeling um, in a way that, the the way the consumer interacts with the commercial airlines hasn't. And so the best way I can describe it to you, what other service do you buy that you have to ask the company when they're going to provide it. And then you alter your plans around when they, when they're going to provide it, you have no say in when it's provided, you are not in control. You can take it or leave what they have. And it's, you know, it, it's really hard to find an alternative. Health, I mean, a,
0: healthcare might be the only other one.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe. But you you've seen some innovation in that sure. with teledoc. You've seen you know these these um, uh, healthcare provider networks that are owning their own hospitals, trying to cost control. Yeah. So what I think um, the way you've seen the Uber and Lyft and these Bubble and um, Wings, all these alternative app based. You know, the gig economy, the one thing the gig economy really hasn't touched yet is air travel. Now, it, it can be expensive for a corporate jet. And there's been some and you've seen some growth in fractional ownership and things like that. That's still probably accessible to the business market. Um, Love Field, we have a service called Rise, which is a scheduled charter service. So uh, but it's it's essentially a subscription. You pay one amount monthly and then you can fly. As long as there's a seat available, you can fly there. They go from Love Field to seven destinations. Smaller plane, no, no pre-check. Um, we have seasonal service at Love Field um, through uh, Taos Air, which flies from Love Field to Taos, New Mexico. And it competes on price. Once again, there's no, there's no security check. It's, it flies under a different operating certificate with the FAA. So I think as they can figure out the financial model... The Internet and sort of the gig economy is going to figure a way to aggregate demand because essentially, you know, if you think about it, if you get enough of scale, because that's really how commercial airlines work financially is they have 140 people on a plane. And if everybody chips in 200, 250 bucks, then you can afford the gas depreciation on the plane, the crew and all that you go all the way and there's no mid, you know, kind of, there's a whole series of new aircraft coming in that are the 50 seat, where if someone can figure out how to uh, aggregate, all of us want to go to Austin tomorrow. And we have an app that we could all agree. We're going to go to Austin tomorrow at noon. And it connected us with an available aircraft and a pilot who'd take us. And based on whatever that cost was, we'd all share in that cost, you know, there's a way to get to uh, aggregating the demand not through the commercial airlines either through the the booking systems they have or or you know directly with the airline or travel agent or one of the third parties and, and I think as planes get more efficient Boeing just announced at the air show they've got a, a radical new design for a commercial aircraft that's a 20% reduction in fuel completely redesigned no longer the tube with wings it's a it's an integrated body, kind of like a B-2 bomber. And as those innovations happen in the aircraft, um, in that mid-mile or even some of the, the longer mile flights, y- you're going to find other alternatives than going to an airline website, figuring out when they're going to go to Austin or New York or whatever. And, and someone, someone's going to figure that out, someone way smarter than me, that's for sure. But I think these additional or newer products, different ways to deliver air service, and some are failing, which is, it's good because people are trying new things. Airports have got to get ready for that. So Love Field, for example, one of the things we're talking about is uh, a non-commercial terminal. So right now, all our, our current terminal and every terminal on a, a commercial airport you know, is TSA, where they have a sterile area, we pass a certification, we get inspected every year, all those kind of things. These other services don't, they operate under a diff- different certificate, so they don't have the same requirements. So we're, we're kind of in the early conceptual stages of, well, if we were going to provide neutral um, services to any of these types of new services from an airport infrastructure, we would need a terminal that would be convenient, wouldn't be burdened with, screening and but there might be some baggage handling systems so we're we're trying to get out a little bit ahead of the curve on where the air travel market is going to go and and you know i think between the aircraft people figuring out ways to connect cons, you know availability with or demand with supply it's it's got to get to the air travel market eventually. Yeah. I'm I'm convinced of that.
0: While we're on the topic of innovation and technology, you know, you hear a lot about bullet trains and you know even the Uber Elevate who's piloting here in the next couple of years. How do you see those that type of technology changing airports, transportation in cities? It's a big one. Big well, question.
1: Yeah, but I I think it dovetails into what I was just talking about. So talk about you know, and I think I've talked a lot and a lot of people are very interested because there's a lot of marketing around the air taxi, especially with Uber as a company, uh, Elevate, um, you know, really promoting this idea of vertical takeoff uh, and landing vehicles. You, you see it a lot because you have one company really pressing the issue and really driving um, to to provide that service as an alternative in a, in a urban environment. The thing that no one's really talking about is the same sort of technology that's going into these aircraft that are vertical takeoff and landing or what what they're really calling a sort of a hybrid. That's a vertical takeoff and landing that converts to a fixed wing. So helicopters are very expensive because they're very inefficient, right? So you think about flying. Fixed wing aircraft are very efficient because once they get up to speed, it doesn't take that much to continue the speed, but the movement of the aircraft over the wing provides the lift, and so you're not pushing the plane up, you're pushing it forward, and the the higher air pressure under the wing is what gives you the lift. VTOLs are kind of a different animal altogether. Electric uh, that use multiple fans that are computer controlled for stability, and it just gives you a power to weight ratio that works for electric. Other aircraft that they're kind of designing would lift you vertically, but then convert to a fixed wing because the vertical takeoff and landing aren't very good at traveling long distance. So the prime example I give you is a Dallas to Austin, right? If you could take off from downtown, you don't have to go to Love Field, you don't have to go to DFW. You can lift off and then as you go forward, the aircraft converts to fixed wing, which is much more efficient, and there's manufacturers looking at this 150, 200-mile range for an electric aircraft that can vertically take off and land. So now you don't travel to the airport. You're literally a downtown to downtown service. So, I mean, I think airports will always have a place because jet-powered fixed-wing aircraft are the best solution for the long mile. I think bullet train, high-speed trains, um, these hybrid sort of vertical takeoff converting to fixed wing would, and automobiles, quite frankly, are still going to compete in the mid-mile market. And then that last mile, you've got the transportation apps, you'll have the flying taxis. So I think you we need to think about the type of trip you're taking. And then each each of those Different types is going to see different technologies and different competitors in that space. Um, You know, high-speed rail makes sense for the mid-mile. It's not, it's too complicated to try and go, you know, from here to Chicago on a high-speed rail. It's just, it's difficult. Um, Dallas to Houston is what's proposed or a lot of the routes planned in California. Those make a lot more sense. And they'll compete directly with air travel. So from what I can see, the airlines are more interested in that long mile because That'll always be their market. Um, and you know, frankly, the bulk of fuel that's used on a flight is taken off. I mean, the, the amount of energy spent getting it into the air is the bulk of what they need for the flight. So long flights don't bother them because they're more profitable. Um, and so it, it'll be interesting as these technologies come into play, how that shapes what airports need in the way of infrastructure um, and even the air taxis, we're working on that now. How are we going to accommodate that? Because if you arrive from Chicago on an aircraft and you want to take a, a air taxi to Frisco, I want to be able to get you from your terminal. If you check the bag, I want you to be able to get your bag and get to your air taxi relatively quickly and easily. So those are the challenges where all all of us airports are going to face, DFW. All the big airports, all the small airports are going to have to deal with that um, changing infrastructure need.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely at the edge of my seat um, waiting to see all the new innovations with particularly Uber Elevate and their pilot program here locally. Uh, What do you see in your crystal ball for the future of airports and and travel?
1: Uh, Besides my retirement? um, Let's see. I think airports are really going to have to shift what they're doing not only from serving the air travel market, but really being more connected to the surrounding communities, the commercial development, providing, you know, additional services. There was a very big initiative, probably, I don't know, eight to 10 years ago about airport cities. There was a book that was, I forget the name of it, but essentially that airports would, you know, function, have all the things you would ever need, that they would be their own city. They wouldn't, and, and I think, the bloom is kind of falling off that rose because everyone sort of figured out that, yes, an airport can have a lot of amenities, but the airport really is an offshoot of whatever market they're serving. People aren't flying to an airport, they're flying to a city and using an airport. So I I think airports like us, like DFW, are are really getting comfortable in our role, providing lots of amenities um, to make it a great experience. Uh, but also recognizing our job is to get people into a mode of transportation. Either they're coming off a plane, I need to get them into a car or an air taxi or a bus or a train to get to their final destination or they're arriving and I need to help them navigate the airport, screening, get something to eat and get onto an aircraft that's going to take them to anywhere in the world. And um, so as we struggle with being better at that, And, you know, frankly, we spend too much time um, focused on safety and security that that continues to be the biggest challenge for us as airports and you as a consumer. You know, we hope that technological advances come to where that screening process is to where we all can feel safe when we get on an aircraft. Um, But that is the really the choke point of screening passengers and bags. It's a huge undertaking. It's very expensive. Um, There's a lot of expense on screening bags that you never even see, but there's a lot. Trust me. There's a lot of time and a lot of people and a lot of money being spent to make sure your bag is safe. um, In addition to you going through the checkpoint. So that is sort of weighing down the efficiency of airports right now. And, and I hope um, there's, there's some promising things on the horizon about, you know, walking through trusted traveler programs, you know, you have pre check now and but that'll get better and better and and as screening technology the only the only problem is you know, all the smart people working on screening for for bad stuff that could get on airplane. There's bad guys out there figuring out new ways to put bad stuff that can't be detected by the current screening. So it really is an arms race on um, who can come up with in something that can get solutions. by, yeah, you know t s a gets a bum rap, but you know you gotta you gotta admit that most folks feel relatively safe and and they've done a pretty good job of keeping any real problems from happening knock on wood, um in the face of a lot of really, really innovative um uh, creative, really smart, bad guys out there, sure thinking up ways to. To, to get something on a plane that isn't detected. Well, Mark,
0: uh, yeah, that's uh, definitely a lot to think about. But I think that's all the time we have for today. But appreciate you coming on and, you know, educating us on how much more there is to see and the impacts that airports make in their cities and the development landscape. So once again, we were talking to Mark Dubner, the Director of Aviation for the City of Dallas. Thanks, Mark.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: Thanks for listening to Dirt Work with Adam Morrissey. We'll have a new episode out next month If you have any story suggestions or want more info on the show or myself, hit me up on LinkedIn.